Chapter 4 The Real Christ, His Love for Souls Let all the house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God hath made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom ye crucified. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Mark chapter 3 verses 20 through 21. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Luke chapter 15 verse 6. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto her, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Matthew chapter 23 verse 37. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2 verse 6. For three chapters we have been studying under the Holy Spirit's guidance the picture God has given in his own word, the Bible, of the real Christ. We've seen the Christ he has appointed, the Christ of actual historical fact, as distinguished from the Christ of man's own manufacture, the Christ of man's fancy and imagination and dreams, and the Christ of Christian science, theosophy, Unitarianism, spiritualism, and other forms of religious or irreligious fiction. We have thus far studied three features of that picture. First, the holiness of the real Christ. Second, his love for God the Father. Third, his love for men. Now we study the fourth feature of that divinely drawn picture, the love of Jesus Christ for souls. I have listed the above six texts for this purpose. We shall study the Bible together to discover how the love of Jesus Christ for souls is seen hoping that this study will awaken in us the same love for souls. Oh, how I wish it would! How much it would mean for this city, for this whole country, and for the world! His Purpose for Coming The love of Jesus Christ for souls is seen in the purpose for which He came into this world. He declared that purpose in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Seeking and saving the lost was the one great objective of the earthly mission of the Son of God. He came into this world not to receive honor, accumulate wealth, or gain a kingdom. He left behind greater glories than this world contained. He came for just one purpose, to seek out and save the lost. Lost men were of more value and preciousness in His sight than all earth's wealth and glory. Yes, more than all the wealth and glory of the wonderful heaven he left behind. Indeed, in his sight, a single soul was of priceless value. In his sight, the whole material universe did not have the value of a single soul, not merely the soul of someone great or wise or good, but also the soul of the most insignificant person. He valued the soul of the most foolish and unlearned the soul of the vilest and the worst, not only the soul of the philosopher or the saint. 
He valued the soul of the savage and the outcast. Each soul has this value in his sight. Years ago, one Sunday night, I walked up the Waterloo Road in London. The street was a blaze of light. The taverns were in full blast. Stages were crowded with men and women, many of whom were drunk. I came to a dark place in the road. I saw a donkey cart backed up against the curb. Two young men were casting what looked like a filthy stuffed bag into the donkey cart. I stepped nearer to see just what they were throwing into the cart. It was a woman, intoxicated and unconscious with drink, a woman perhaps fifty years old, seemingly their mother. I shrank back in horror and disgust, and then the thought came to me, God loves that woman as truly as he loves you. Not only is that true, but it is also true that in the sight of Jesus Christ, the soul of a poor, disgusting, intoxicated, degraded creature like that is of more value than all the priceless gems of earth. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Some years later, as I went through the streets of Benares, India, I saw a fakir, a so-called holy man in a cage, almost naked, sitting before a fire. He stared at the fire and tried not to even wink his eyes or notice the people gazing at him. His hair and his body were covered with ashes, a perfect representative of the Buddhist concept of holiness and blessedness. It was a more nauseating sight than the degraded drunken woman in London, and again as I turned away in disgust, the thought came to me, God loves that poor wretched being, blinded and sunken through the influence of Buddhism. Yes, that is true, but it is also true that the soul of that poor, misguided, ignorant, degraded Buddhist fakir was of more value in the sight of Jesus Christ and of those who see as Jesus Christ sees than all the wealth and splendor of this world. Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God, left heaven and all its glory and came down to earth with all its pain, agony, and shame to seek out and save such people. He came to seek and to save the lost, so that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 He left his glory to seek and to save the lost, who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-8 through eight. Do we have that love for souls, that we would be willing to give up the highest place of earth's honor and take the lowliest place? Are we willing to take the place of misunderstanding, rejection, shame, spitting, suffering, and death to find more of the lost, the degraded, and the degenerate, and save them by leading them to know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? His Continual Watchfulness for Souls We see the love of Jesus Christ for souls in His always being on the watch for opportunities to save perishing souls. We have a striking illustration of this in the fourth chapter of John. You know the story. 
Jesus came to Jacob's well at six o'clock in the evening after a long day's journey. He was hungry and tired. His disciples went into the city to obtain food, but he was too tired to go with them. And as he sat there on the well, he lifted his eyes and saw a woman, who was an outcast coming toward him. Immediately he forgot his hunger and his weariness. It was an opportunity such as he always longed for and watched for, an opportunity to tell a lost one the way of life. The moment she came within speaking distance, he opened a conversation with her by asking her for a drink of water, not so much that his own thirst might be quenched, but to gain an opening to tell her of the way of life and the living water, of which, if one drinks, he shall never thirst. We have another illustration in the ninth chapter of John, where Jesus went and found the blind man whom he had healed, but whom the Jews had cast out of the synagogue. He said to him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And then revealed himself to him as the Son of God. John chapter 9 verse 35. We see still another illustration in the second chapter of Mark, where the determined four men brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus for healing. When they could not get through the door, they went up on the roof, broke open the tiles, and let their needy friend down right before Jesus. Instantly, Jesus saw not only a paralyzed body to be healed, but also a lost soul to be saved. And before he told him to arise and take up his bed and walk, he said to him, Son, thy sins are forgiven. Mark chapter 2, verse 5. Stocker said in his Imago Christi, that Jesus Christ made use of his miracles as stepping stones to reach the soul. So should we use every act of kindness that God gives us as an opportunity and an opening for reaching the soul of the one for whom we perform it. But we should also always be on the alert for opportunities to save the lost. Some time ago, Rufus Smith, a quaint man of God, went up and down the eastern part of this country. He was a man on fire with a passion for the salvation of the lost. I first met him when he was an old man. It was my privilege once to travel with him from Washington to Atlanta. At every station, he would step out of the train and talk to the men on the platform. Afterward, he came to visit me in Minneapolis. He was vulnerable to pneumonia but insisted on coming to the mission and speaking. After the mission meeting was over, someone spoke to him about the illumination of the principal business street in Minneapolis. It was only a few blocks away, and he insisted on going to see it. He would listen to no warning or protest. He was wrapped well in a heavy overcoat. When we reached Nicolette Avenue, there was a blaze of light from the electric arches, and he saw a great crowd surging down the sidewalk and filling the roadway. He became very excited. He turned to me and said, I can't stand this, I must preach. He tore off his overcoat, and handing it to me, stepped out into the middle of the street and lifted his voice. Friends, I never saw anything like this. I am from Missouri. We never have anything like this down there. This is wonderful. The crowd stopped and gathered around him. They thought he was some greenhorn from the country, and that there was some fun brewing. His voice rang out again. I never saw anything like this. This is wonderful. He stopped a moment and then said with intense earnestness, But this is nothing to what soon shall be. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, 
and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. And then he poured out his soul in a gospel message. His Going After Lost Souls Jesus Christ's love for souls is seen in his going after lost souls. We see this beautifully set forth by our Lord in Luke chapter 15 verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, and having lost one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, until he find it? This is a part of the parable of the lost sheep. There are three parables concerning the lost in the fifteenth chapter of Luke. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. The parable of the lost sheep sets forth the love of Christ Jesus, the good shepherd for the lost. The parable of the lost coin sets forth the love of the Holy Spirit for the lost. And the parable of the lost son sets forth the love of God, the Father, for the lost. But we are concerned here only with the parable of the lost sheep and the love of Christ for the lost as it is pictured. This parable tells us that the incarnate Son of God goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. There is a wealth of meaning in these words, which we cannot stop to fully explain now. Jesus Christ went after lost souls. He not only watched for and welcomed opportunities when they came his way, but he also sought opportunities. He not only received the lost when they came to him, but he also went after them. A true love for souls will always reveal itself in our going out in search of them. Are you going out and seeking the lost? Most of us think we are doing pretty well, and indeed we are doing better than the average professing Christian when we deal with the lost when they come to church, when they come to us. But Jesus Christ went after them. Shouldn't we do the same? Some years ago in Chicago, a young woman who attended the Moody Church selected a block in a section of the city called Little Hell, with the resolution that she would call on every house and tenement, front and rear, in that block, and seek to lead all the lost ones she found to Christ. One day, she rapped at a door, and a hoarse voice said, Come in. She entered. The room was very bare and lying on a wretched bed in an alcove off the room was a man dying of tuberculosis. She stepped to his side and said, Are you a Christian? No, he savagely replied. I am an infidel. She said nothing more about Christianity, but spoke a few kind words and left. The next day she took him a pot of jelly, the next day a pot of jam, the next day some other delicacy. She kept this up for a month. Then, one Sunday afternoon, she came to me at the close of my Bible class and said, Mr. Torrey, there is a man dying down at Townsend Street, and he is an infidel. I do not think he is long to live. I know you are busy and wish to go home to prepare for your evening service, but won't you come and say a few words to him before he dies? I hurried with her to this wretched tenement. She took me in, and after introducing me, she slipped away. I sat down by the dying man's bed and asked if I could read the scriptures to him. He said I could. I read him some passages that tell of the love of God for the sinner. Then I read him passages that told how the Lord Jesus Christ had died on the cross at Calvary for our sins, and how all our sins 
had been laid upon him. I read John chapter 3 verse 16, where it tells not only of the love of God, but also of how anybody wanting to be saved only has to believe in the Son of God. Then I asked him if I might pray with him. He said I could. I knelt down beside that wretched bed and asked God to open that dying infidel's eyes to see that not only there was a God, but that God also loved him. I asked God to help him see that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for him, all he had to do to find forgiveness for his sins and be saved was to believe in the Christ who had died for him and had risen again. I asked God to lead this man to faith in Christ, and as I finished my prayer, he said, Amen. Then, as best I could, I began to sing as I still knelt there, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I sang on verse after verse, and when I reached the last verse, the dying man joined in with me. Evidently, he had heard the hymn sometime in his childhood at church or Sunday school, and it still remained in his mind. Word for word he sang with me, Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I looked up and said, Did you really come? He said, I did. I arose and explained to him more fully from the Scripture the way of life and left him rejoicing in Christ. That very night he passed into eternity, a saved man, saved because a humble woman walked in the footsteps of her master and went out to seek and to save the lost. Finding His Joy and Satisfaction in Saving Lost Souls We see the love of Jesus Christ for souls in that He found His joy and satisfaction in saving lost souls. We have a striking illustration of this in the chapter to which I have already referred, the fourth chapter of John. You recall the early part of the story. As he talked with the woman who was an outcast, his disciples returned from the city bringing food. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but said nothing until the woman left. Then they offered him food and said unto him, Rabbi, eat. To which he replied, I have meat to eat that ye know not. The disciples turned to one another and said, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to accomplish his work. John chapter 5, verses 31 through 34. In other words, in this work of saving souls, he forgot weariness, hunger, and thirst. In it, he found joy for his soul and even refreshment for his body. Is it so with you? Is saving souls your very food and drink? On another occasion, he was so taken up with the work that he had no time to so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. Mark chapter 3, verses 20-21. through 21. In this we see that Jesus so lost himself in his work of saving souls that he neglected the ordinary needs of his body, until his friends thought he was insane. We have another striking illustration of this in the ninth chapter of Luke. Jesus had heard of the death of John the Baptist, 
and his heart grieved over the loss of his cousin and friend. The apostles had just returned from a mission tour, and had declared unto him what things they had done. He took them aside into a secluded place for rest. But the multitude saw him going and followed him, and his rest was given up. The striking thing comes out next, where we read that he welcomed them, and spake to them of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9 verses 10 through 11. What was rest to him? Here was an opportunity to save souls, and as much as he needed a time of rest, there was greater joy and satisfaction in saving the lost than in any recreation and rest he could find. His Rejoicing in Finding Lost Souls The love of Jesus Christ for souls is seen in His rejoicing with great joy over lost souls found. This is also seen in the parable of the lost sheep. In His own exact words we read, When He hath found it, the lost sheep, He layeth it on His shoulders rejoicing. And when He cometh home, He calleth together His friends and His neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that even so there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Luke chapter 15 verses 5 through 7. A shepherd rejoices over his lost sheep when he finds it, and the woman rejoices over the coin lost from her marriage necklace when it is found again. The gold hunter rejoices over the great nugget of gold that he takes out of the earth, and the merchantman seeking pearls rejoices over the one pearl of great price that he finds. But our Lord Jesus rejoices infinitely more over a lost soul found. How cold and little interested most of us are when we deal with a soul, and if perchance we succeed in leading him to accept Christ, how listless and indifferent we are about it. If you should find a diamond worth a thousand dollars, you would be so excited and so glad that you would hardly be able to sleep that night. But you find and win a soul for Christ, and it will awaken scarcely a ripple of enthusiasm. Not so with our Lord Jesus. When he found one lost sheep, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. His Great Grief Over Lost Souls The love of Jesus Christ for souls is seen in the fact that He grieved with great grief over lost souls that refused to be saved. This is seen in many actions and many utterances of our Lord. For example, He said, Ye will not come to me that ye might have life. John chapter 5 verse 40 to appreciate these words of our Lord, we need to remember the circumstances under which the words were spoken, and the tone, the look, and the gesture with which Jesus uttered them. The Lord Jesus came into this world to save men, to bring life to them. He went up and down His land, offering this life to men as a free gift. He was soon to die a death of agony and disgrace and most awful shame to make this life possible for them. He offered this life freely to all who would come to Him, but the great mass of men of that day, like the great mass of men today, would not come. They would gather in enormous crowds to see His miracles, 
obtain healing for their bodies and listen to his words, but they would not really come to him. One day, surrounded by a great crowd of these miracle seekers and curiosity mongers, he stretched out his yearning arms toward them and cried, Ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. How I wish I could reproduce the look, the tone, and the gesture with which he uttered those words. The look of tenderest compassion, the tone of sorrowing, heartbreaking love, and the gesture of infinite yearning. We have another illustration of the same thing in Matthew, where he looked out upon Jerusalem and moaned, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto her. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. No woman ever grieved over her stolen jewels, and no mother ever grieved over a lost child, as Jesus grieved over lost men who refused to be saved. No words can picture the agony that shot through the heart of Jesus Christ when men refused to come to him that they might have life. Are we like him in this? Do we do everything in our power to bring men and women to a decision for Christ, and if they will not come, do our hearts break over them in yearning and pity and love, or are we peeved and indignant that they will not yield to our skillful persuasion? Oh, if only we had a love for souls like Jesus had, there would be many one. Some who have such a love are constantly winning souls. The story has often been told, but it bears repeating, of the old deacon who had a great burden for an infidel blacksmith in his village. For months the deacon studied all the infidel arguments and the replies to them given in books of Christian proofs. Then he called on the blacksmith in his shop and engaged him in conversation. But the blacksmith was still more than a match for the deacon, and in a very few minutes he had the deacon silenced. Then the deacon broke into tears and said, All I can say is, I have a deep spiritual concern for your soul. The deacon went home and said to his wife, Wife, I am a failure in God's work. I have been studying all the infidel arguments and answers to them for months, and thought I had them all mastered. I went down to the blacksmith, but he whipped me to a standstill in only a few moments. I am a failure in God's work. Then he went to his room alone, just off the porch. Kneeling down, he said, O God, I am a failure in your work. I have been studying for months to meet the arguments of the blacksmith, and I went to talk with him, but he squelched me. O God, you know I have a love for the blacksmith's soul, but I am a failure in your work. But no sooner had the deacon left the blacksmith's shop than the blacksmith stood in deep thought and went into his house. He said to his wife, Wife, I thought I knew all the arguments for Christianity, but the deacon used an argument this morning I never heard before. He said he had a deep spiritual concern for my soul. What does he mean? The wife was a canny woman and replied, You'd better go ask him. The blacksmith hung up his apron and took a shortcut to the deacon's house. He came up on the porch just as the deacon was praying, and he heard the deacon's voice coming through the shutter. Oh God, you know I am a failure in your work. The blacksmith pushed the door open and said, Deacon, you are no failure in God's work. You have used an argument I never heard before, 
You said you had a deep spiritual concern for my soul, and I have come to have you pray for me. If only all of us had a deep spiritual concern for the souls of lost men and women, if only we had a love like that of our Lord for the lost, so that we would grieve with great grief over lost souls that refused to be saved. His Laying His Life Down to Save Souls The love of Jesus Christ for souls is seen in the fact that He gladly laid down His life to save souls. This fact comes out repeatedly. For example, Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd layeth down His life for the sheep. John chapter 10, verse 11. It comes out again when He says, The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give His life a ransom for many. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Here is the crowning proof of our Lord's consuming passion for the salvation of the lost. He laid down His life to save the lost, laid it down gladly. There was but one way in which sinners could be saved, and that was by an atonement made by one who could make a sufficient atonement. Without the sacrificed life of a fit person, without shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The incarnate Son of God, the eternal God become man, was the only person of all the universe who by reason of His twofold nature, human and divine, and His absolutely sinless character, could make that atonement. He said, I will make it. I will pay the price of man's salvation. I will give up my life to be a substitute sacrifice for him. I will make propitiation by the shedding of my blood. Even here we should follow in his steps. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 Not that we can make atonement. There is no need of that. An absolutely perfect and sufficient atonement has already been made. But it is often necessary for the saved to lay down their lives for the salvation of the lost. Are you ready to lay down your life for perishing men? Are you willing, if need be, to sacrifice your life so that the vile outcast or the lost thousands who are in the foul degradation of the blackest heathenism may be saved? What we need today are men and women who are willing to follow Christ in His love for souls and to go out and lay down their lives so others may live eternally. Raising untold millions of dollars by the interchurch world movement or any other movement will avail nothing unless men and women come forward who really have the Spirit of Christ, the love for souls that Christ had, and because of their love for lost souls are willing to lay down their lives to save others.